Hello, my name is Matthew Clark, and welcome to 1,000 Words, Stories on the Way. So, have you ever had somebody ask you, um, like, what would you say to your younger self, you know, like if you could sit down with yourself uh, from 5, 10, or 20 years ago, what would you want to say to you on any given subject? And someone asked me to talk to some college students about being an artist and a Christian, and that's kind of where this week's episode started. And I thought, well, I would want them to know, like I wish I had known, that the stories we believe and the stories we tell really change us. And they change the people around us. If we're storytellers slash artists, it really helps to think about that. Uh, So I thought I'd talk about that a little this week. But uh, it might be a little confusing. One disclaimer... um, I'm not saying that every piece of art must be an explicit gospel explanation, kind of a gospel track kind of thing. Um, In this episode, I'm really more talking about how we start uh, as artists, or how we we always have to start by rooting ourselves in reality, with a capital R. And Christianity has always claimed that reality is whatever the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are saying and doing. Um, So the implication is that we don't create reality. We discover and participate in it. Or we don't. If there's a story God is telling, we either join in its telling, or we edit ourselves out of the only story that is actually happening in the end. Uh, But doing that goes against everything we most long for. It, It breaks our hearts. There isn't some other source of life besides the Trinity. Um, So, let's jump right in. Here is this week's episode called, You Belong in This Story. G.K. Chesterton said, I had always felt life first as a story. And if there is a story... There is a storyteller. Have you noticed how story has become such a buzzword in the last several years? Why do we hunger and thirst for movies, streaming shows, podcasts, and social media? One reason, maybe, because we're trying to recover that feeling that our lives are a part of a story that matters. If everyone already felt like they were a part of a good story... They wouldn't talk about it. It would be like how you don't notice your toe until you stub it. Everyone's talking about story because their sense of story has been lost. Personally, I've always felt a little lost, like something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. I felt a little like I was falling through empty space, not having come from anywhere or going to any place just falling. A lot of us live with a constant undercurrent of anxiety, the endlessly blinking neon question mark, asking, is life pointless? Is any of this going anywhere? I understand that this is how most people feel at this point in history. It might be a little bit comforting to find out that there's a reason 
We feel that way. I mean that feeling of meaninglessness or storylessness, it didn't just come from nowhere. It's the result of a long string of actual historical trends in culture. By the way, this is something I love. Finding books, friends, or podcasts that trace the history of ideas. My go-to podcast for that kind of thing is Mars Hill Audio Journal. But studying the history of ideas gives us options because we discover ways of thinking we didn't know existed. So, here's a very, very short history lesson. Have you ever heard of the Enlightenment? It lasted from about 1715 to 1789. It changed the way people thought about life and the world and led to our modern view. What's the modern view? I'm glad you asked. Ken Myers, the host of Mars Hill Audio Journal, says, In the modern view, the chief task is not to conform the soul to reality, but to remake reality to fit human desires. In the modern view, the universe is just matter, known by mathematics, but there is no moral order inherent in things. There's nothing there to which we should conform. The idea is that there is no meaning to be a part of. If life is going to mean anything, it's up to you to make your own meaning. Guess where a phrase like, you do you, got its start. Or, life is what you make of it. Can you hear the hopelessness and apathy tucked away in those snappy catchphrases? They do sell products because they offer a false sense of liberation from limits. But they really signify a way of being in the world that is lonely and aimless. The main thing you need to know is that the Enlightenment was the first time people on a large scale began to imagine life without God. A drastically new way of seeing the world was introduced that said, essentially, you didn't come from anywhere, you weren't created by a loving God, and you're not going anywhere, there's no loving God working to bring you home. In fact, there's no such thing as home. By today's standards, those seem like totally normal things to say don't they? But before the so-called Enlightenment, the majority of people used to just automatically understand themselves from the moment they were born into the world to the moment they left it as being sort of embraced or held, hemmed in before and behind, within a much bigger story, a story with a loving, redeeming God as the storyteller. That was normal. Well, since the Enlightenment, the dismantling of the human story snowballed. Where are we now? We long for that embrace that began to be stripped from us centuries before we were even born. We're trying to break the endless freefall and land somewhere in a story that matters. Meanwhile, all this time, God has been trying to tell us the true story about who we really are. We are the children of the loving creator of the universe. Yes, lost for a while, but reclaimed by Jesus. 
and called to follow him to our true home. Unless we see that we have come from somewhere and that we are actually going somewhere, life will have no shape to it. It'll be a meaningless ball of randomness. What I'm trying to get across is that the idea that there is no God and the idea that life has no story is a very recent historical phenomenon. The vast majority of humans up until just a few hundred years ago automatically thought of themselves as being part of a meaningful cosmic storyline. But guess what? There's an anti-story story. There is a story that says, there is no story. That's the story our world believes today. Do you understand? Unbelief is itself a belief in a particular story that says there is no story. It's worth asking, what stories am I believing? Who exactly is telling the stories that shape my thinking? Do I trust those storytellers? Do they have real authority? You are being told stories all the time by some of the most incredible, well-funded storytellers on the planet. As an artist, pay close attention to their skill. Learn to be as great at your craft as they are at theirs. And then, tell all kinds of stories and make all kinds of things that bring the truth within reach. Tell stories that help people discover that there is a story and they are being called to take their place in the tale by the great storyteller himself. The world needs good storytellers. If you are an artist, you are a storyteller too. And the joy of your craft is to discover and delve deeply into the true story that God himself has told through creation, the scriptures, and the church. You are being called to discover that you are a part of that living story that is still being told and will be told for eternity. You really did come from somewhere. The God who is love called you into existence. You are going somewhere. Jesus has opened in himself a way home. You have a story right now. You are an heir in God's family and his collaborator, making sure the story told on earth is the same as it is in heaven. This week I thought, since I mentioned Chesterton earlier, that I'd close with one of my favorite passages from uh, his book, Orthodoxy. It happens to be the one that leads up to the quote that I started this week's essay with. Um, To me, Chesterton is a storyteller I go back to again and again when I need to have my imagination kind of uh, pointed back to reality. When I've gotten stuck believing sad stories, he can kind of snap me out of it. Uh, It kind of makes me think of, like, have you ever seen somebody in a movie and uh, somebody will wave smelling salts under their nose uh, because they've passed out and they suddenly wake up? Uh, Chesterton's writing kind of has that effect on me. 
Um, so does Lewis and, and several others. But uh, So I thought I'd share this little passage uh, from Orthodoxy. Here's Chesterton. It is supposed that if a thing goes on repeating itself, it's probably dead. A piece of clockwork. People feel that if the universe was personal, it would vary. If the sun were alive, it would dance. This is a fallacy. A man varies his movements because of some slight element of failure or fatigue. He gets into a city bus because he's tired of walking, or he walks because he's tired of sitting still. But if his life and joy were so gigantic that he never tired of going to Islington, he might go to Islington as regularly as the Thames goes to Sheerness. The sun rises every morning. I do not rise every morning, but the variation is due not to my activity, but to my inaction. Now, to put the matter in a popular phrase, it might be true that the sun rises regularly because he never gets tired of rising. His routine might be due not to lifelessness, but to a rush of life. The thing I mean can be seen, for instance, in children. When they find some game or joke that they specially enjoy, a child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not absence, of life. Because children have abounding vitality. Because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For the grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but he has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. That's all for this week. Keep getting the story straight, keep taking the story in, and use your imagination. There are a million creative ways to get the story out. Um, Subscribe to this podcast, leave reviews, and pass it along to your friends, if you will. Um, Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next week.